Well, this is part three of what I've been getting into uh, for the last two weeks is from 2 Timothy, and I, I have uh, kind of a, a lot of scripture here, so I'm going to get right into it because I want to bring us through a, a, a review of week one and week two. What we've been seeing is that um, there was a warning of a crisis. Everybody say a warning of crisis. Now, we are aware of crisis on the horizon in the earth, aren't we? Financial crisis, war crisis, right? These things are in the earth right now, and we are fully aware of those things, aren't we? Right? We've just had a medical or a physical crisis sweep through the whole earth. We are fully aware. But, you know, there is a crisis that is greater than any type of crisis that could affect your bank account, affect your body, and affect your, even your home and your way of life. And that is a spiritual crisis. That is the greatest crisis that we face beyond these other crises. And this book of 2 Timothy warns us 2,000 years ago of this time. And he gives Timothy, Paul speaking to him, some principles uh, that would help him to uphold and maintain uh, the Christian principles that had been uh, taught by the Holy Spirit and taught by Christ in that time, and then continued with Timothy and so on, their sons in the faith and their sons in the faith, and here we are today still believing and preaching the Word, but the world is very quickly creeping in, even into the churches, creeping in. Uh, and and getting into every avenue of the church. It got into every avenue of our school system, and our political system, and our judicial system, and now it's trying to, the enemy's trying to come in to the church. He's always been trying to get into that door, and, and in some ways throughout time he succeeded, but the church is, for 2,000 years has been fairly protected in um, its... Holiness, there was an idea not too long ago, just even when some of the older ones here were children, that you went into a church and you knew to be quiet, you know, you, you knew like this is a church, like we don't, we don't, you know, make a lot big scene here. I'm not saying that that's more religious than making noise, but you get what I'm saying? There was a concept that was kind of instilled in you that this is a church and that's, you know, the outside, you know, that's outside. You know, that's a gym, that's a playground, that's a movie theater, this is a church. And there was this idea that there, it was holy inside. Even if it wasn't really holy, right, maybe I'm sure there was, you know, corruption and things going on in the churches throughout history, right, that we weren't even aware of. But there was this idea that we went to a church to find God, and that's where, you know, God dwelt, and it was holy. Now, in some ways... Um, I'm glad that some of the barriers are breaking down, that it's not a building, right? It is God. It's God is, we are the temple. So in some ways, God uses it just like he uses everything so that we would start seeking him and say, okay, there's an issue. I'm starting to see issues. We'd seek him, and we find out that, in fact, God is not the building, but the idea is that even the world knew that um, God was God, 
and his word was his word, and the church was the church, and it was fairly untouched throughout history. And then we've come into the time now where churches, for the first time in 2,000 years, were taking down the crosses, they're getting rid of the stained glass, right? The word is getting watered down to become a pamphlet at best. Uh, Jesus is uncomfortable to talk about, even saying even just the generic name God is they were careful to even say that. It used to be, well, you know, first they get rid of Jesus, then we just say God. Thank God for this, thank God for that. Dawn said, Thank God. It was something very simple. Thank God. And I was like, I got on my knees just to be because it's funny that we say those types of things. And I was like, Oh, thank God that we had cheese. But even that is going away. We can't even say God. You know, we can't even say the expression, thank God anymore. You know, they're going to bleep it out on TV. And this is what it says, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read this very quickly because you know it, and I've read it twice now. But I'm going to read it again quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. And I've covered this in week one. I really broke down this list. Week two, I just read it, and I'm going to read it faster today. But if you want to really listen to me breaking down some of these concepts, it's in week one. But it says that they are ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They're slanderous. They have no self-control. They're cruel. They hate what is good. They're, they betray their friends. They're reckless. They're puffed up with pride. They love pleasure rather than God. They act religious, but they reject the power, or they reject the gospel of Christ. They, they like religion, the idea, the concept, but we don't really like Jesus, or we like Jesus, but I don't really care for the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says they act religious, but they reject the power that could make them godly, the whole point to the thing. They, they like maybe the building. They like the idea of going to a church, but they don't really want to change. The Epiphyte says that their conduct basically belies, or it, their conduct contradicts the genuineness of their profession. They say they're Christians, but there's no action. And even says, warning, to stay away from people like that. It goes on in verse 7, that some would follow new teachings. They are never able to understand the truth. In fact, it says they oppose the truth. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. Verse 13 says, evil people will, and, and impostors will flourish, and they will deceive others and themselves be deceived. It goes on into chapter 4 of 2 Timothy and said, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will no longer listen to the strict and archaic word of God, right? It's just a strict book. It's outdated. It's just, they're just rules and regulation. And it says that they will no longer listen to that sound and wholesome, to the clean and pure living. They don't want to live God's way. They will follow their own 
desires, and this is what's worse. And you can see it happening today. This is talking about, not just talking about the world, when you really, I didn't really major on this for week one and week two, but I'm making the point now, I've just kind of separated this as worldliness and Christianity, which it is. But I want to make the point now in week three, as we're diving in deeper here, that when Paul was writing to Timothy, what he was specifically talking about is not the way the world acts. It's actually the concepts and ideas that were going to creep in to, the, to those that called themselves Christians, to the church. If you really dig into this, and you can do it on your own time, and really look at 2 Timothy, you're going to find out that he's not just talking about the world that was born and raised in the world. We need to love them, we need to give them grace and mercy, and we need to present the true gospel to them. And he talks about that in 2 Timothy as well. It says that maybe they'll come to their senses, right? But it says here that the church, that those that call themselves Christians, would start to drift into other ideas that worldliness of the world that was always there will always be there crept into christianity and now it was hard to tell the difference between a christian and the world and so it says that they would follow their own desires and what's worse is they would look for teachers they would look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear so they say, you know what? I don't really like this part about the gospel. And people go around and start searching for churches that will preach the way they think and not what the word says. Who has seen that begin to happen in this time? And when they can't find that, then what they do is they just branch off. They create a new Bible. That's what we're seeing. Right, We call that, I say it all the time, the cut-and-paste Bible. Right, We just remove the things we don't like. Now, I don't know in here who subscribes to, to the Epic Times. I'm not even going to tell the whole detail through the podcast. You can talk to me after. I don't even want it to be recorded. But a church in Texas just opened their doors. You guys can use your imagination for now, but... In the same way that the school system have been opening their doors to some concepts that we don't agree with. Come on in, teach our children. Okay, you can use your imagination. Well, a church in Texas thought that was a good idea. Let's bring some of those people in who don't have quite a good handle on their identity. Let's have them come in and teach our children about their ideas and concepts. That's where we are. If it wasn't here before, it's here now. Now, I did not plan. I don't sit down and think, man, October 2nd would be a great time to preach this sermon. I, uh, we read uh, 2 Timothy as a church uh, uh, three weeks ago now. And as I read it, it really struck me. And I said, you know what? I think I need to get into this. I'm going to start to preach on this for the next few weeks. Or actually... Initially, I don't plan a few weeks. I plan the next week, and then it, I'm, it may unravel into two or three or more. So here we are, and I'm going to bring us into this sermon today, and the article popped up yesterday. I heard about it on the news a couple days ago, and then the article came up through the Epic Times 
yesterday. And again, if you want some more details, I'll talk to you about it after. But I was shocked. But I don't know why I'm shocked, because my word says that this is exactly what would happen. The time would come when the world and the church, it would be hard to tell the difference. In fact, Jesus came the first time when Jesus came. Remember, Jesus is coming again, and we are looking confidently for his coming. Amen. We are ready for his coming. But don't forget that when he came the first time, Jesus had a lot of grace and mercy for the prostitute. He had a lot of grace and mercy, right, for the tax collector. Those were like, you know, that would be today's mob bosses. That's who the tax collector was, right? He was stealing money, taking money from everybody. You owe me. This is, and if you don't pay me, you know, I got the government behind me. And Jesus was very gracious with them because they didn't know. They were, they were stuck in their delusion. They were fooled. But you know who God, who Jesus did not have much grace on? Was those that were supposed to be leading the people. Those that were supposed to be different. And the reason that the tax collector would want to repent was because he saw a righteous priest. But Jesus didn't find many righteous, did he? In fact, when he found, he says, is a brood of vipers, a den of serpents. And so if we fast forward to today and to prep for Jesus' second coming, the final coming, the, the end of it all, where we all are taken into finality and everything is wrapped up in death and hell and the fallen angels are thrown into the lake of fire for all time and we are with God in glory forever. The Bible points to a time just like that with a second mirror to the time of Noah, where the Bible says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. They just thought, this is, this is right, I'll do that. Well, I think this is right, and I'll do that. And everybody said, fine, you do what's right for you, and you do what's right for you. Who can't stand that when someone says that to you? You can't react like the flesh, but when someone says, I'm glad that Christianity is working for you. I'm glad that works for you, that you need that. I'm glad... You know, if you need that, that's good for you. Something in you makes you angry. Like, I need it, you need it. <laughs> Obviously, we're not going to react like that. <laughs> I'm glad that works for you. But this is what has happened now, is now... The world is the world has always been the world. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be saved. But if the world is looking at, the, at Christianity, if they're looking at the church on the corner, and it's become more and more like them, why would they ever feel that they need to change? And yet Jesus came in so much love and grace and mercy for them, and yet when it came down to the details of, of the person, right? He's dealing, he's dealing there with them. He loved them, but he said, go and sin no more. Whereas the religious of the day said, just pay us your dues. You know, you didn't wash your hands. You're not acting religious. But meanwhile is really no difference between us and you anyway. 
we're all the same. You watch me watching my hands, but you know full well the world watching me that I'm not a good person. Right? That's the problem. That's what happened, and that's why Jesus was so angry. People think that Jesus is love. He doesn't get angry. He got really angry, didn't he, a few times. And what we want to see when he returns is a church that is actually representing and living like him. Amen. And not like they were when he came the first time. And so he goes on to say, he says that there is this counterfeit faith. There's this deception. There's a teaching. There's teachings, plural, that's coming. And they will, and teachers. And it says in verse 4 that they will reject the truth and they will chase after whatever they want, whatever they think, ideas and mythologies and all kinds of weirdness. And it says in, in Peter, right, it's Peter, Dan, I think, that says he, that the Lord said, or in Romans, that they, uh, it's Romans, that let them have it, let it be so, that he, he handed them over, right? Romans 1 or chapter 2? Romans 1. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, he says that this type of t talking, it leads to godless behavior. When people start just debating ideas and concepts instead of just getting the gospel and focusing on Christ, right? When people are, they just start dissecting all these ideas. You ever, like we've come to a time where I cannot believe the type of things that people are debating, like not, it doesn't seem like good and evil, but stuff that people are debating on YouTube, Christians versus Christian. And the Bible says that what would happen is, is it actually just breeds godless behavior. Because what do you think the world thinks when they see that one Christian has a very fixed idea of this, and another Christian has a very fixed idea of this, and they seem to be opposites opposing each other, instead of them both just saying, listen, we don't quite understand this concept, but you know what? In the meantime, let's agree to disagree. Christ is still the Savior in the center, but the world doesn't know that. They click on a YouTube video, and they see two Christians having a debate. And the Bible says that it would lead to godless behavior. In fact, it says this kind of talk spreads like cancer. Verse 6, 17. It says, verse 18, they have left the path of truth. And this is one of the concepts that to, even 2,000 years ago, there was already some false truths coming through. This is not a new teaching. We have many new teachings today, but 2,000 years ago, there was already a teaching that the resurrection of the dead had already occurred, and, and it says that this kind of arguing and debating, instead of focusing on what the Word had said and what God had promised, they got off in their own ideas. See, sometimes it's not just like, you know, well, I just want to do what I want, outright evil, but sometimes just getting so heady and just getting into our minds, and this is what I think, and this is what I feel, and, you know, I, I'm part of the star system, right? This is Christian Scientology, right? That's what they do, and they come up with all these big ideas, and then it just gets weird. And it says they turned some people away from the faith. And so we've been preaching for these last weeks that, okay, we're fully aware 
this is coming in, and I wanted to really review it again, and we've been getting deeper. Today I got a lot deeper. I wanted to read through the initial scriptures quicker and get deeper here at the end, but we're focused on, as the church, the solution. We are fully aware, but we need to choose to be the solution. I want you to say that out loud. We need to choose to be the solution, right? So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, warning him ahead of time, but ultimately God wrote through Paul to us to listen to the word of God 2,000 years ago, right? Here we are today. And he said to Timothy, there's a delusion coming. It's a time like Noah, and everyone did was right in their own eyes. But Timothy, listen to me. I have a way to keep yourself from these creeping ideologies from coming in. And so we've been looking, week one and week two. I'm going to read just through a list, okay? I'm just going to read some things. He said he, Paul remarks about his genuine faith and tells him, Timothy, you're going to have to be proactive. You're going to have to work at this. There's a, there's a gifting in you. There's faith in you. I laid my hands on you. I was there with you, and now you're on your own. But you're going to have to fan it into flames. Amen? Remember this from week one. You're going to have to fan that gift into flames. He tells him, you need to hold on to the pattern I gave you. And there was patterns of, of uh, Paul, Paul taught him. There was a pattern of the way that a Christian should live, right? There was a pattern of, of love versus, you know, jealousy and envy and hate and all these earthly things, right? There's patterns that God's given us. It's not religion. That's not the religion. Religion is going through the works and the motions, right? Attending church to attend a church. Reading your Bible just because that's what you're supposed to do. Praying because I have to pray. That's religion. Religion, though, at the same time, you could... But those same exact things are not religious. Do you hear what I'm saying? They're actually put in place to protect you and as a safety. Who has found that when you stop going to church, stop reading your Bible, and stop praying, things that can become very religious, that pattern, who has found that then our faith starts to get a little bit softer and weaker, right? So we don't hold on to a, the pattern in a religious way, but we hold on to the pattern nonetheless because it's very important to keep Guard, he says. He tells him you have to guard the truth. You're going to have to be proactive. The time will come. There's going to be so many other truths coming in, false truths creeping in. You're going to have to be proactive. You're going to have to guard it. He tells him remain faithful to the things you've been taught, the Holy Scriptures. And he tells us something that most people don't uh, want to hear, but we need to hear. And in fact, the church needs to say and not be afraid to say, that the Word of God is our compass. It's the true north. How will you know where you're going unless you actually have something to guide you, right? We cannot just say, well, love is love. No, love is not love. God is love. We need to break these concepts that the world has brought in, and they cannot get into the church. Love is not love. God is love. The Bible defines it for us. It says, love is the greatest love is laying your life down for another, right? Jesus laying his life down for us and us doing the same. You want the definition of love? It's not defining itself. Jesus defined love, amen? And so the Bible says that the scriptures teach us what is right and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. We should not be ashamed. We should not be afraid of the word, if we are, that means something's wrong. It's very simple. 
And then we cannot coddle and try to comfort in that hour. You have to let the person deal with it, right? What happens when you coddle during that time, right? Now, you guys been to a baseball game? I don't know. Is it? Maybe she can tell us, right? Kelly can tell us. But the last few years, is from what I've heard, there's no winners and no losers. Everybody's a winner. I don't understand how the game works like that. I'm not saying that we need to be like, we are the champions, you know, singing the song and then pointing at the losers on the way out. But I don't understand if no one wins or loses what you're doing. We're just swinging a ball, like just throwing it around. I don't understand. And so that's what happens. When we coddle it, then it doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe when they're like five years old, sure. I remember soccer. You kicked in the wrong net. Everybody cheered, whatever. You know, you're five years old. But like 13-year-olds, come on. There's a winner and a loser now, guys. We're not teaching you that you want to be a loser, but you teach you to be better. Otherwise, what do you, what, I mean, why? why? I mean, why strive for anything, right? It's on a pathway to communism, right? Because there's no winners and no losers. Everybody's equal. Wow. But the Bible says of itself here in 2 Timothy, the scriptures show us what is wrong, and not just to leave us there. It's, it says it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. This is what has left the church, and, we, and it is, I'm telling you, if we don't grab a hold of this now as the church, I'm not saying this church, and I'm not pointing to anybody else's church here in the Hudson Valley. I'm just saying the church of the world right now. If we do not grab back a hold of this, right, we're trying to let anything go because we want to love people, but we're coddling them. And it's dangerous because what it does is what I've just described. It kind of brings confusion and chaos. And honestly, people will just be uninterested in the end. You thought you did it to win them, but you're going to push them away. Not everyone will come to Christ. I know it is a sad, hard truth. People stood at the cross and watched Jesus on that cross and still went to hell. I don't like that. I don't talk about that concept very often. You barely ever hear me mention hell as a preacher, but we need to be aware that it's the truth of Christ and his gospel that saves you. It is not a false sense of love. It is not the devil's defined word of love that will save anyone. All you're doing is confusing them. You need to tell them with your life, not with words. The words follow the lifestyle. Tell them with your life so that when they come to you and they say, what is it about you? What is this in your life? Then you can introduce them to the concepts that you are living. Well, I realized I was a sinner. I realized I was broken. I realized I was a miserable wretch. And I turned my life over to the Lord and realized that he does something supernatural in me and I don't need to try to do right, but something, when I read the word, changes in me, and I want to do what's right. Imagine presenting the gospel like that. And so he's telling him, you need to guard these things. You need to guard this truth. I know we've talked about these concepts, but I just felt to keep going deeper here. And then last week, really spent a long time going on about how you cannot do anything that I'm just describing in these last couple minutes and what I'm about to say for these next few minutes without the Holy Spirit, without the grace of God. In fact, let's just say that out loud. I cannot do anything 
without the Holy Spirit. And I cannot do anything except by the grace of God. Right? The grace of God is not just what covers your sin. It is what empowers your righteousness. You cannot make yourself righteous in the same way you could not cleanse your own sins. You cannot make yourself holy. In the same way that you were powerless without him, the only reason you have power is not because of you, but by the same grace that covers your powerlessness, it, in, it fuels you to be now filled with his power. Amen. So craziness is all around, darkness creeping in, new teachings replacing the true gospel. What do we need to do? Stay close to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will guide us and give us grace to understand the times and to keep us in the true faith. Amen. I want you to look with me at 2 Timothy for the next 15 minutes here. Let's look at 2 Timothy as we round third here into the final part of this sermon. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, verse 1, Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. And I told you last week, I read this paragraph, but I'm gonna, now we're going to preach from it for a few minutes. Be strong through the grace. And then he tells them some, some things. Verse 3, It's only by the Holy Spirit you can do this, and it's only by grace. But listen to me, Timothy, endure suffering along with me. As this stuff that I've described here, right, as all these things begin to creep in and they begin to take the church and arguing's going to start and everybody's going to think they're right. Listen to me, Timothy, you're going to have to endure because they're going to think you're wrong. They all think they're right. They all think they're right. This person thinks they're right. You're not going to be bragging that you're the real one that's right. I just want you to endure. I want you to stay true. He says, along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So this is the next concept that we're introducing here in this series, that the idea of being a Christian soldier it is what will safeguard you. And what does he say? He said, soldiers, verse 4, don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. So what does he say? What does he say here? He says, I want you to think like a soldier. It's the only way you're going to survive, Timothy, and anybody hearing these words, God's saying to the readers of Timothy, the only way you're going to survive when this time comes is you're going to have to separate yourself. You're going to have to learn this concept, and I'm just going to, because I want to preach it and I don't want to lose it here, so I'm just going to start saying th some things out of order, but you're going to have to learn to be in this world and not of it. You're going to have to be separate. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 I'm going to go a little bit quick here, and if you want to go back and listen, you can get some more details. But 2 Corinthians 6 says in verse 14, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner 
with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Wow. If I was to say that, you know how many Christians would judge me right now? If I didn't quote the verse and I just said it like it was coming out of, they would think, man, I was being so judgmental. But you're supposed to love the world. Yes, and as I've already stated here today, Jesus loved them. But when it came time for the truth, he never wavered. Jesus did not back down on being Jesus. Right When it finally was asked of him, you know, it took some time, took some years to get to the question there right before the cross. But are you the son of God? He wasn't like, well, the son of God's kind of a complicated topic. <laughs> Life's complicated. I've heard, I've heard pastors and Christians say something like that. It's like, you don't need to use the world's concepts. You're not winning anybody. All you're doing is winning their emotions. That's it. It just makes people emotional. You're like, oh, wow, he's just like me. I don't remember what he said. That pastor is just like me. He's so cool. He's the son of God. I am. When it comes down to the truth, then the truth needs to be stated. When it comes to that time, when they ask you the truth, we're dancing around because, you know, we're afraid. We don't want to, like, we don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt. Listen, the only thing you're offending is God. I'd rather offend man than offend God. And it doesn't work. Listen, politics, I'm not going to get political for more than one second, but I will say this. They're always trying to concede, you know, you give me some, I'll give you some. It doesn't work, does it? Whenever they concede, all they do is just take, 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 and no one ever gives back. It doesn't work. Don't waste your time. You need to love like the word says to love, not love like the world demands you to love them. Because it's real love that you're doing anyway. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Bible says it here. Light and darkness, they don't, it's oil and water. They don't mix. You are in this world. You are among the worldly people in this world. But you are not, I know this is harsh, but you are not to be a friend to the world. You can be friendly. Everybody say friendly. Right, that's different than a friend. You can be an acquaintance. But your friends should be the kingdom, your brothers and sisters. They need you to be a friend to them. Now, so I'm going to get now into details of what I'm saying here. But they cannot be your friend. They can be your acquaintance. You need to befriend them, right? You need to influence them, not influence. let them influence you. That's because this is what happens. You get in their circle, what happens? Doesn't take long, does it? Go over to their parties and their functions too much, what happens? Well, maybe I'll skip this week. I deserve it. I've been, I've been so faithful for so long. It's just a slippery slope, isn't it? That's what happens. Come on, you guys are <laughs> you're on the same page with me, right? We're getting this. He says... What union, verse 16, can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will live in them and among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, verse 17 says, come out. And come on, we're preaching the concept of being a soldier, which is 
that a soldier is, he's a person just like you and I, right? They come home from war and they're a little bit different, aren't they? Because they've been separated. Their mind, their, their whole idea, the whole idea of who they are as a person is, you know, their, their brothers are their fellow soldiers. Those are their brothers. They literally call themselves brothers, but we are civilians, right? I'm a civilian to them. There's a difference. We're acquaintances. When they're, when they're right on active duty, they can come home, but don't get, too, don't get too close to home. Go home, come back. And the Bible says here, because he says, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. It sounds so harsh, doesn't it? But listen, I am not talking about what you do as a uh, pastor, apostle, evangelist, teacher, right, uh, prophet into the world. All right, those things we need to go. Jesus said to go. There's a difference between going and friendship, right? We get this concept. There is a going in, which is tactful and for a purpose, and it, unless you know, there's some sort of a relationship, you know, maybe they're not going to listen to you. So I, I, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying you need to cut off everything and everybody, but Rick will tell you, right? There's a lot of people that had to go because there, it was not going to be healthy. And there's some that have stayed that are, we're constantly working on, right? Those that are getting closer. And the Bible says, if we try to bring those things, though, and this is the point of these sermons, is we try to bring those things into Christianity, right? We need to keep those things out there, but if you try to mix them to reach them, try to become like them to reach them, I promise you all it will do is confuse them, and they will call you out on it too, right? I never said you can't say a bad word, but everybody knows it. Right? Hi, I'm Adam, and I'm a Christian. And then they swear. Oh, sorry. Did I tell you there's a rule in my... Do I have a rule book that said, don't swear in front of me? Why do they feel that? So the second that I start swearing in front of them, because I think I'm going to reach them, you know what they do? They go, oh, Christians are just like me. I don't need to change. You get, you get what's happening here. So we bring those concepts. We start bringing their flags, start waving their flags in front of the church, start pulling our crosses down. We start bringing in their literature with our literature. What happens? We just create what the Bible calls uh, Babylon. Babylon's definition was mixture, and it created all kinds of confusion, all kinds of other religions and those things. So back over here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, verse 15, he says, listen, I want you to be like a soldier, and I want you to work hard. You know what I have found? He says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. This is what I have found. When I'm not working hard for God, I get lazy. I'm judging myself. I'm judging myself, no one else. But here's the thing. When I'm not working hard for God, what I have noticed of myself, if I don't have res spiritual responsibility, I thank God for spiritual responsibility, somebody that I need to prepare something for, 
somebody I need to be praying for. Because what happens is our nature is, well, I'm going to just take this day off. And our nature is, if we're not working hard for the kingdom, this is not works. I'm not talking about getting into works. I'm talking about things that God has given us as safeguards. You separate yourself to protect yourself. You work hard for God, not so that just so that I'm gonna, so I can approve him like he, I need to prove him like there's something I've got to prove to him. That's not what he's saying. Work hard for God for his approval because what it does is it puts you in a mindset that is kingdom-minded instead of earthly-minded. Right? Who has found? Who can agree with me? Now, I judged myself, but is there anybody that can find that if I don't have anything spiritual right now that I feel like is pressing, I'll just kind of start taking a few steps back. It's not intentional. I'm not like, man, I'm going to start walking away from the Lord, but I just maybe just start reading a little bit less, start spending a little bit less time with him, and it's just very easy to do. So one of the ways to keep myself in the truth and staying clear is to work hard for him. And finally, for today, the last concept I want to bring us is he says in verse 22, to run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Now, this is not sexual lust, although, of course, it can include that because that's one of the lust of the flesh, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. But uh, the NIV says, uh, flee the desires of youth. And I think that's a better way when you really, I really studied this verse out a lot. And I think that's a better concept because a youth is not directed. The idea is that a youth, right, who's still growing, they don't know who they are yet. They don't know what they want to be. They don't know what they want to do, right? They're still moldable and steerable, right? But if we don't steer them, what happens to a youth? What happens to an unsteered youth, right? They become a wild person, right? Or, and they become uh, people that do bad things or just stubborn, rebellious, etc. right? Maybe the world loves that part. Really prideful. And so he's saying run from those things instead Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And to finalize the point that I was making a moment ago about us being separate, he says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. There it is right there. In order for you to stay away from these creeping concepts and these creeping ideas, letting the world coming into the church, you must be around believers. That's who your friends are, right there. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts, because why? Iron sharpens iron. And the only way that I'm really going to be able to run from youthful lust is not to be running with other youth in concept, not the age, right? I'm running like, because, right, we got 60-year-olds who are still acting like 18-year-olds. So it's not just an age thing, right? It's just that they've never given up on, you know, on, on pride and, and, well, I'll do what I want when I want. You know, that youthful way of thinking, which has to be broken, right? Again, the soldier. The soldier is broken. They don't think like that anymore. I'm directed. I'm told what to do. The Lord leads me. I work for him. I don't work for myself. I work for him. I'm not having things control me. I'm controlled by the Lord, right? I've, I'm living righteously. I'm faithful to him. 
My life is about love. It's about peace. And we could go really deep into these things. But the point is this, that we must not let too much world get into us. It's not just evil. Like, you know, that should be obvious. You know, there's evil worldliness. And then there's the worldliness we don't think about that much. It's just, you know, putting on Netflix because it's easy to do, right? I'm not saying you're watching the worst show, but just putting on some TV, right? And planning out what I'm going to do for the next few weeks fun and setting this up, setting that up. It's very easy to not be kingdom-minded. And I'm not saying that those things are evil, but by doing that, by not thinking like a soldier and being proactive and focused, it can be a slippery slope. It's the devil's way of sneaking in and kind of just getting you to drift back over. And then once you're in that area over here, now he can start steering mind concepts. And so as I close, let me just ask you a question to ponder. Have you ever been in that place where you didn't steer willingly, you just became less focused, less in, in the working, maybe more with the world than with the church, a little bit more over there. And then suddenly now you started to think their concepts. You started to think, hmm, maybe you don't know who you are when you're born. Maybe you can choose when you get older. That's what happens though, right? Who has started, I'm, not, maybe I'm using extreme, right? But we start thinking those those concepts. I told you before, I had more than one Christian tell me this in a backslidden state, but I can remember one conversation specifically. He said to me, I stopped reading my Bible and all the pressure went away. It's so much easier. When I stopped doing it, man, all the pressure is gone. It's such a better life that I have now. I still love God. I just don't really like, I don't have to like focus on it. Anyway, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for your word, and I thank you for these sermons, Lord, that you're preaching to us, God. This is you reminding us that even though it's dark, Lord, we put our eyes on you and focus on you. There is truth has not changed. I thank you, Lord, that truth has not changed, and even just hearing it, Lord, I'm filled with life. I'm encouraged, Lord, by hearing your word. It's building me up to know, Lord God, that we're on the right path. It's giving us confidence, Lord, looking forward to your coming and that you're with us. You're never going to leave us or forsake us. And it doesn't matter which way the world goes, we're going to stay the righteousness of God for your glory and, Lord, to save those that are willing to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.